Hey Graceland family and friends and guests, thanks for watching this service. My name is Nate Milliken and I serve here as a husband, as a dad, as one of the pastors alongside and under our lead pastor, Larry Riley, as well as the director of Sin Network Indiana. Hey, something that I'd like you to mark your calendar with and that is the date of September 13th. We're hoping and planning and we hope that you are as well to reopen on September 13th at 9 and 10.30. 9 and 10.30 for our kids' ministry, yay, our student ministry, and for our adult group. So 9, 10.30 on September 13th. Hey, this morning, or whenever you're watching this service, we are looking at James chapter 5, verses 13 through 18. So I'm preaching this week, and then we just have one more sermon in the book of James. I hope that it has refreshed you, encouraged you, and challenged you. Do you know somebody who has a recommendation for everything. If you ask them, where should we go to eat? What would be a great date night or somewhere to go connect with my friend? And they have a couple recommendations. If you ask, where should I go for this particular activity or uh, to go on vacation? They have some recommendations. Where should I go to purchase this particular product or material? And they have a recommendation. You might get a little annoyed because they have a recommendation for everything, but in your heart, you're kind of thankful because it saves you a lot of time and effort and research because they streamline the process as you trust them in terms of their recommendation. James does this very thing in James chapter 5 verses 13 through 18. James says, in whatever circumstance you find yourself in, we should be people, we should be individuals who pray. Now, I don't know if that's your posture. Certainly at times that's not my posture. That's not my natural bent or reaction despite whatever goes on in my life. Sometimes I worry, I get anxious, fearful, angry, or I celebrate, I'm joyful. But James says, in whatever goes on in your life, be a person of prayer. Now, what is prayer? Great question. I've defined prayer from my friend, Dr. Chuck Lawless, as a cry for relationship and a commitment of dependence. You can go ahead and write that down. A cry for relationship. We understand that we are finite beings, we're created beings, and we cry out to have a relationship, a friendship with the one who's made us, and a commitment of dependence. We're not ultimate beings, and we're not relying upon ourselves. At least we shouldn't be. We need to be reliant and dependent upon Him. I also love what Tim Keller, a former pastor in New York City, an author, theologian, professor said about prayer. He says, prayer is like dinner conversation with a good friend. Right? Somebody comes over and you may make a great meal or, or may experience a great meal, but really what you enjoy is just the presence of a good friend or friends to talk, to engage, to share, to be vulnerable to lean in, to challenge, to confront, to encourage, to celebrate. And, and so prayer is a cry for relationship, a commitment of dependence, and it's like having a dinner conversation with a great friend. Now as we look through this passage, James chapter 5, verses 13 through 18, I want to commend you this big idea, and it's this. Prayer is commended for every situation. Prayer is commended by James for every situation. There's the big idea, the, the main point that I want you to walk away from in terms of this sermon, this little Bible study. Prayer is commended for every situation. Now, I want to encourage you to understand and see in the Bible that the Bible is relevant and practical. As you think about your life as a middle school student, a high school student, a young adult, 
a median-aged adult, or even a wise adult. Notice I didn't say senior adult, a wise adult. You understand, whether you're a 7th grader at Highland Hills Middle, or you are 75 years old in retirement and in the twilight of your life, you understand life is full of suffering, of difficulties. It looks different for the 7th grader than it does for the 75-year-old. It's relative. But all of us understand all too well that life is comprised of hardships and difficulties and suffering. Just this past week, not only in our church, but in my sphere of influence, my friendships, there was somebody who passed away, somebody who had a significant surgery, loss of a job, difficulty in a relationship, difficulty in their particular job, struggles with college admission, losing a child, and on and on and on. Not to mention there were joys and highlights and celebrations. Life is full of lows and highs and the good and the bad. And James's response is to pray. In fact, this is the most common used, commonly used word for prayer, used over 80 times. And, and you might be inclined to think that James is not giving specific content to our prayer, but I think what James is saying, when difficulties arise, as he has called Christians, followers of Jesus, to endure with the right spirit and the right perspective, he also is saying lean in with the right spirit and the right posture and attitude with regards to the discipline of prayer. I'm not sure if you would describe yourself as a man, woman, boy, or girl as a person of prayer, but prayer is that spiritual muscle that we flex our dependence upon God, a cry for relationship, and a desire just to talk to Him. So I think as Paul is, as James is saying, uh, prayer is committed for every situation. I think what he's calling us to is this spiritual steadfastness in and through the work and the discipline of prayer. Now, when should we pray? I tell my four kids all the time, you can pray anytime, anywhere. When you're in class and you get frustrated that you don't know the answer, you can pray. When you're out in your special class and you're having a great time with friends and you're enjoying what the teacher tells you and you're excited, you can pray and thank God for that. When you're having a hard time, when your dad gives you instructions and chores, you don't like that, you can talk to God and share with him and ask God to help you in your anger or frustration. And there's a myriad of scenarios whereby we should and could pray. Prayer is committed for every situation. James gives us several scenarios by which we should pray. He doesn't just uh, you know, keep them to these three scenarios. So really, he's talking about every situation. The first is suffering. In fact, the word difficulty can be translated suffering, hardship. We suffer for a lot of reasons. We suffer because we live in a fallen world. We suffer because God wants to produce good in us. We suffer because God is preparing us for how he's going to use us and we suffer and go through suffering because God teaches us that this is not our final home. About three years ago I had a, a craniotomy, a brain surgery and uh, they cut open this side of my head. I had 16 stitches. I know some of you are saying move on. I don't like to hear about things like that. But God used that in my life not just to uh, be proactive about remedying an aneurysm that I had in my brain, but also he used it to teach me about being sympathetic, empathetic, 
to identify, to be compassionate and patient and gentle and loving and to be more caring for people who are going through physical hardship. So when we suffer, what should we do? James says we should pray. When we're cheerful, what should we do? We should pray. Now, we oftentimes think that prayer is merely praying for this particular person's hurt knee or their surgery, and that's fine and good and God-honoring. But oftentimes, we have a very narrow-minded understanding of prayer. We should pray when we have good things happen to us so that we will not become prideful and think that actually we are the ones who deserve the credit. God is the one who's the giver of every good and perfect gift. James chapter 1. We should pray when we're sick, James says. He says in these verses, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Verse 14, Is anyone among you sick? Let him call the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him or her with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he's committed sin, if she's committed sins, he or she will be forgiven. So James says we should pray when we're cheerful, when we're suffering, and when we are sick. He says call the elders of the church. The word elders is, is the word plural, elders. Church is singular. Here at Graceland, we are an elder-led church. They provide oversight and, and authority in our lives. And they're to come alongside the people that God has brought to Graceland to shepherd them, to love them. They're to know the needs of the people and, and to be an example of godliness and faith. In fact, Luke in the book of Acts where they are setting apart deacons who help with physical needs. The apostles who later, uh, the apostles die off and elders are in the church. The apostles say, hey, we should not neglect the, the teaching and preaching of the word and prayer. There's the job description of every elder and pastor to preach and teach, not always publicly, but teach and to share and disciple and to pray. Call the elders of the church to pray uh, for the sick. The word sick literally means weak and to pray over him or her. Possibly there's physical mobility that's been hindered. And again, in chapter 5 or 15, there's a stronger word that's used. It means to be worn out. Because of this physical sickness, this person is depressed and anxious and stressed out. You probably can identify with that or know somebody who has. When they're going through difficulties, physical surgeries, physical hardships, stress, and depression, anxiety sets in, and that's attributed many times to the physical sickness going on in a person's life. And they say, James says, call the elders of the church to come and pray and to anoint this person with oil. Well, here at Graceland, we have not only elders, but we have oil uh, in our worship center that we're hoping September 13th will reopen. And you'll see that we have oil there. Well, what's the oil for? In most Baptist churches, you don't have elders. And in most Baptist churches, you don't have oil. What's it for? Is there something miraculous to the oil? No, I don't think that there is. In the Old Testament, the oil was not used for medicinal purposes. It wasn't used for sacramental purposes like our Catholic friends believe in terms of it giving grace and bringing about forgiveness of sins. So it's not sacramental. I think it's symbolic because in the Old Testament, over 73 times, it's used as a means of consecrating, dedicating, setting apart a particular king over Israel, furnishings in the temple of God, different things that make up the, the building of God, 
or people or things. The, the, this understanding of the symbolic nature of oil, which was, which was expensive, you would put it on a person and we're saying, we are dedicating, we're consecrating this priest, this king, this person, this space to God Almighty. So I think that's what James is saying. When we pray over a person, we put oil on their forehead. There's nothing miraculous about the oil, but we're saying, God, we are committing dedicating this person to you. Will you please work? Prayers to be committed for every situation. The sick, when we're cheerful, when we're suffering. James says that this prayer of faith will do what? Save the person and raise him or her up. Now just a little disclaimer. There are lots of people who read this text and they misconstrue, misinterpret, and misapply the text. We want to be men women, boys and girls who are marked by a reading and studying and thinking about the Word of God. There are a lot of people who think that you have to have enough faith, you have to muster up the depths of a faith, and if we do it with great faith and great vigor, then we'll be healed. As if the healing is based upon us. And when it doesn't happen, there are devastating results that happen. There are all sorts of preachers, men and women on TV, that are saying if you'll only have enough faith, and that's just not true, friends and family and guests. It's never relegated and up to us. Jesus is always the one who heals. And when certain people are told we didn't have enough faith and they're still in their hardship, can you imagine how condemning and discouraging that must be. And really, it's not about the person. What does James say? Gather the elders of the church so that the elders not have enough faith. But I want you to think for a moment about the Bible. How many times did Paul, the Apostle Paul, the greatest missionary and theologian and pastor who has ever lived apart from the Lord Jesus Christ, he prayed three times that Jesus would take away his physical pain once twice and three times, and God saw fit not to take that away. So I want to encourage you to read the Bible and understand the Bible in its uh, context and to be accurate readers and studies of the Bible. Well, what's going on in this passage? The faith exercised in prayer is faith in God who sovereignly accomplishes His Will And when we're praying, we're, re we're recognizing explicitly or implicitly that God is in control. You might say that the prayer as one person is circular in shape. It begins in heaven and ends in heaven. It's by the sovereign will of God. And James says that this prayer will raise up and bring healing. I think ultimately he's referring to the healing that all of us will experience. Mental, physical, emotional healing that we will all experience one day on the other side of this life. And yet there are times, is there not? There are times, absolutely. I've experienced it, I've seen it, I've read about it, you have as well. When you gather together and you pray and God Almighty actually brings healing, it's not based upon us, it's not based upon the intensity of our faith, Jesus is the one who brings healing. Healing. Prayer is to be commended in every situation. This prayer, as James says, the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. The prayer of a righteous woman is powerful and effective. Meaning, 
that when we pray, God can use and He can do great things. But how do we become righteous and pure and clean? Well, I think there's a little gospel glimpse there in James chapter 5, verse 16. We don't make ourselves morally clean, pure, and righteous. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 20 21, God, the Father, made Him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for you and to be sin for me. He took on our anger. He took on our sexual sin. He took on our lying. He took on our stealing. He took on our bitterness. He took on our unforgiveness. He took on our contempt. He became sin for us that we might become what? The righteousness of God. What is the righteousness of God? It's comprised of the obedience of Jesus. So that when we confess our need for Jesus, the Father gives us the obedience of Jesus so that He looks at us and He doesn't see people who are impure and immoral and unrighteous. He sees people who are clean and pure and righteous. Not on account of what we've done, but on account of what Jesus has done. So have you surrendered your life to Jesus? Do you understand that you can never clean yourself up? No matter how good you are, no matter how many times you go to church, no matter how many times you read the Bible, no matter, no matter how many times you try to have accolades and achievements and want to think about other people, we can't get rid of the stench and the stain and the penalty of sin upon our lives. Jesus does that. James goes on, and as he says that we're to confess our sins to one another, James chapter 5, verse 16, this this practice, this discipline, is that of a person of humility. How humble is it when you actually confess that you're wrong and you didn't get something right? There's great humility in that. It cuts away pride. Again, this is indicative of people who have saving faith in Jesus. We acknowledge we don't have everything together. When's the last time you confessed your sin? When's the last time you brought somebody into your life and said, I got that wrong? Maybe the Spirit of God right now is prompting you to go text a friend, call a friend, meet a friend for coffee and say, hey, I was out of line. I should have done that. That's a great practice of a church that will have power by God to do great healing. When we are a praying church, and part of our praying church is a confessing church. James closes with an example in history of Elijah who actually lived. And many people in Jesus' day thought that Elijah was a superhuman. Listen to some of the things that he did. A prophet who went to battle with the wicked, sinful prophets of Baal. He, then he fled for his life. He exercised great power. He saw sights beyond human comprehension. He raised the dead, multiplied food for a widow, ate food at the beaks of ravens, feasted in the wilderness at the hands of angels, foretold a feast and famine and the coming of rain. And then he vanished from the earth, was whisked away in a chariot. And you think, there's no way I could be like Elijah. But that's James's point. He was a man just like you. He was a person just like me. And yet what characterized Elijah was a dependence, an intensity, a passion, a cry, a reliance upon God. Prayer is to be committed in every situation. Suffering. Joys, highs, lows, wrongs, difficulties, sickness. Elijah knew in his core he was a man that needed to be dependent upon God. As I close this sermon, a lot of commentators believe that verse 16 should be better translated. The prayer of a righteous man or woman is of great power when energized. Energized by who? 
the Holy Spirit, who energizes us, compels us, drives us, and passions us to engage in prayer, to be dependent, to be reliant, to be passionate for Jesus. So as we come to Jesus, recognizing our need for Jesus, confessing our sin, agreeing with Jesus, praising Him for the joys and the gifts and the highs in our lives, and requesting comfort from the broken and the sick, and in so doing all of that prayer to be committed in every situation, there is great power. We want to be a church. I want to see us become more and more a church, as I know that you do, to see grace and become a church that has great power. And it will come as we understand prayer is to be commended in every situation. Let's pray. Father, would you help us see the truth of this text, to believe it and to do it, and to be men and women, boys and girls, who cry out for relationship, who commit dependence, and long to talk to you like a close friend. Would you see fit to work in our hearts for the glory and renown of our great crucified and resurrected King, Jesus. Amen.